0: do all that cool stuff like you did as a kid but you do it as a family and it's
1: it's perfect so. it's it's a it's, it's it's a time that you just you you can't imagine that you actually lived it
0: yeah i mean I, I you know at one point they were looking for a camp director and it's not really my background to be nonprofit right. but uh you know i was looking at potentially doing it um just for the simple fact that i i love that place for sure so, you know, was, was be there was there ever like cut, a was there a huge but, pay cut? But but the camp director gets a house on the lake. Oh, well, there you go. So that's
1: worth. That, I don't that's, know half it's a million it's dollars For you, for a house investor, that's worth a ton.
0: <laughs> well, you don't you don't own it. You just get right, to live there, right? For sure. But you know, uh, yeah. I that, went to a camp like
1: that up in. Uh, it was north of Buchanan. It was called Michiana Christian Service Camp, and I remember.
0: I bet, uh, I think that used to be called Camp Redbud.
1: Yeah, yeah. I went there as a kid too. Yeah. Wow, small world, and uh, so I, I I just remember these times that I was I started going there probably middle school and um, I went there with my my stepsister Lindsay and um, I mean dude it was a phenomenal place I mean it was it I it was right a, on the river right yeah it was a solid foundation as a child like but I just remember going there and these guidance counselors, they were like 18, 19, you know, and I'm like 18 years old guidance counselors. Like that's crazy. They'd get to stay in these like (laughs) cool huts. And I was like, man, I can't wait till I'm out of high school and I can finally do this. And, and then, uh, I remember the first time where I, I legitimately, I, I went there almost every year for quite a while. And then it was about 19 years old. I finally became a a counselor. Nice. And, uh, I, I tell you what, it was one of the most rewarding things I'd ever done. And, um, Gosh, it literally seems just like yesterday. I bet he's throwing stuff downstairs.
0: Did they do capture the flag when you were there?
1: Oh, ours was, was it capture the flag? So we did ours, it was always at night. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And we would, uh, I remember the the first time when I was a counselor, because that was like one of the biggest reasons I wanted to be a counselor. So I could go hide and they would have to come find me. I remember I was up in this 60-foot pine tree and literally i scaled all the way to the top like i was to the top and i remember these kids you know they would have the flashlights they'd be looking up they'd be like but they would have to identify you in order to come down they have to say your name huh so you what you do is you'd bundle yourself and i took (laughs) duct tape so because back in the day you know i was i used to care a lot more about my shoes and so they were really recognizable so i made sure before i left i was like i had to put something i didn't like actually duct tape so what i did is i took paper and then i duct taped them so i wouldn't ruin the shoes with duct tape wow oh there's cooper oh boy (laughs) so we are live we're we're going um thanks everybody for joining the podcast i'm here with mick oh oh boy did your mom leave I'm here with Mick. We're going to have child interruptions here. This is what happens when you still do everything at home. Uh, I'm here with Mick Hofflinger. Is that how you pronounce it? There's a lot of different ways, but that, that
0: one is the best. Which one do you prefer? Hofflinger's fine.
1: Hofflinger. What, give me some other variations of this.
0: Uh, I think the German pronunciation is Herflinger. Oh, no kidding? Yeah, that's how they say it over there. Uh, Hofflinger. Uh, yeah, I think those are the main three.
1: Yeah. So. You would—that's a long name. That I mean, so I bet like when you'd fill up like ice step stuff, you'd literally hit every bubble. Pretty much. Can you guys go up? Come for, come for another, a game like I know. A chair. Oh, okay. So, anyways, yeah, mine was mine was relatively simple. I mean, six. You know, <laughs> F U. Let me, let me count that. F U L L E R. Yeah, six. There we go. Sometimes <laughs> I have to remind myself, but um. Yeah, thanks for coming. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. kind of short notice. Um, we're just kind of jazzing here. Uh, one of my missions is kind of... So in this podcast, it, locally, I'm kind of exploring local, you know? Yeah. Local content, talking to people. One of the things that I've always just been real interested in is just kind of understanding people. Mm-hmm. Like knowing where they've been. And there was this... Um, I, I don't remember his name, but there was this young man who... For like one year, I believe one or two years or there he he was on a mission he wanted to interview every living World War II vet
0: yes, I know a guy like that in Wisconsin his name's John Mino
1: that's like I remember sitting down talking to um talking to my 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 grandpas, and I was very fortunate that I had all four grandparents up until I was almost twenty huh. that's almost unheard of. You know, and both of those grandparents, meat and potatoes, you know, one grandfather had a really rough upbringing and, and the other was just both of them, hell of workers, even my grandmothers. And I still have one, um, one that's alive And her birthday or 93rd birthday was just the other day. Um, but I remember talking to them and they just seemed so reserved about it. They never yeah. talked about it, nothing. And um, one was over in India. He was building bridges. He was an engineer. Wow. Yeah, because um, I, I believe the Nazis were kind of advancing, uh, you know, down down to the southern part of Asia. Mm-hmm. You know, they were trying to obviously push out. And, you know, we came in through India and we landed there and kind of pushed up. And then my other grandfather, you know, he came in through Europe. So he was kind of more on the front line. Um, but, uh, yeah, What? 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 Toughest t- generation. Oh, dude, it really is, man. I think of the things that my grandfather went through. I mean, he grew up in an orphanish orphanage with his brother. I mean, basically as babies, young, and they were all the way till he was 18. You know, knew his dad, but there wasn't like a strong relationship there. Yeah. And I mean, you think about that time and I remember talking to my grandmother about the uh the ice box, you know, uh, what we would call a freezer. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that was her job is literally know,
0: they put a block of
1: ice in the top.
0: Yeah. And the cold just dropped yeah. on all the food.
1: Yeah. Did you, you your grandparents were they your grandfathers were they servicemen?
0: Uh one well actually both grandpas, but uh one of them uh in World War Two and then the other one uh early sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Both army.
1: Both army? Yeah, mine were both army as well. Big army back then. It was a big army. <laughs> yeah. I, I think about that and I think about this I mean I mean I'm I'm sure you do and I'm sure you've literally thought about you probably even think about it daily sometimes and we were in the air, the Minneapolis airport the other day and there was probably 500 servicemen sitting in there waiting oh, to yeah. board a plane young men I mean and then I think about that even in that time like my grand I I I'm sh- I've heard stories that 17 16 year olds would fake their IDs so they could serve or younger dude think about that commitment quitting high school yeah to and, serve your country,
0: and then you know some of these guys didn't get their high school diploma until they're seventy. Yeah, Honor, you know it was like an honorable diploma type of thing, you for know, sure. where they
1: just gave it to them, you know, for life experience. So, what kind of what kind of sparked you know your your drive to to join the military? So I uh, you know both my grandpas
0: uh, in the military, um, so some of that in the family, but for me. Um, I wanted, I wanted to do more and I knew that early on and, and, uh, so it was a path. It was for me probably the best path and the only path to going to college, uh, creating a better life for myself. So, um, I actually enlisted in the reserves between uh, my junior and senior year that summer. Mm -hmm. So I went reserve, and uh, and sign the sign the dotted line. You know that summer. Uh, the following summer, I graduated. Uh, I want to say it was very very late May. So that'd have
1: been what, like ninety
0: three? No, I'm not that old, man. Ninety three. Uh, ni- so <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, summer
1: of ninety eight. <laughs> ninety eight. Okay, I was off five years.
0: Summer of ninety eight, I, I I enlisted in what they call the uh, delayed entry program. So, okay. um, and then a week after graduation, uh, June of ninety nine, I was at boot camp. Okay. So, and the program was called a 92-day reservist. You go to boot camp and then immediately go straight to college. Okay. And then you continue your MOS, specialty school, marine combat training, and you do that later, uh, like the next summer. So, uh, went straight to boot camp a week after high school and then immediately graduated on a Friday. Um, I want to say it was like right around September 1st. And I was in college that Monday, like September 3rd, and I was a week late for college, but
1: that's, you know, right. that's how it goes, so. Where, where, were we, where were we at as a country, like, fighting at that time? Who were we fighting with?
0: 1999?
1: Yeah. Um, was it still Bosnia and uh, all that? I think well, there was a
0: little bit of that stuff going on with, yeah, with
1: that. You know, because Clinton was obviously still yeah. dealing with that, and I yeah. know all that was kind of fresh in the 90s.
0: Yep. And then... Uh, other than that, not a whole lot going on. Um, I went straight to Northern Michigan University up in the Upper Peninsula and uh, i I went through school um, the first two years, and I knew that I wanted to continue my service so i uh, I had the they call it Officer Selection Officer uh, come to the school and I, and i um, I made an appointment and I said, hey, I'm in the reserves. I think it was a gunny and a captain. And I said, I'm in the reserves, gunny and sir, and I uh, want to go to OCS. So um, explain,
1: they, explain to me and those who don't know what OCS is
0: Officer Candidate School. So okay. it's basically the tryout to be an officer. So you know?
1: you're below pond scum, you're private. Yeah. Is, well, that, is well, that what they would call it? Well I a, was
0: enlisted, so I was okay. I think I was a Lance Corporal at this time. Okay. i went from a private to PFC to Lance Corporal. But okay. when you go to OCS, it's like a different scale. Okay. You get your basically your worker scale and then your management scale. Okay. So I was I was in the worker scale and I was like, hey, I wanna I wanna I wanna lead. So uh, applied to OCS, you know, took the test p f t so physical fitness tests all that kind of stuff i did fine and uh from there went to o c s in in a program called p l c so- platoon leaders course which is o c s in two segments you got juniors and seniors so i went to juniors did fine graduated from juniors went back to the reserves and back to college right and uh th- yeah from there um I went to MOS School for Heavy Equipment Operator in uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. It's an Army school, but the Marines send people there, too. Mm -hmm. Finished that one summer, went back to OCS, and uh, that was right around the time I graduated uh, college, 2003. So I finished college May of 2003, went straight to seniors for PLC, and uh, graduated, which means you have your degree. You finished OCS, then you commission. So you right raise your right hand, put your put your butter bars You're on. You're in. So, You're in. So uh, graduated. Um,
1: and from you know, what high school what did you go to?
0: I went to Niles
1: High School. You went to Niles High School. Yep. Then, Not Brandywine.
0: No. And then uh, <laughs> and then went to uh, Northern Michigan for for my bachelor's degree. Um, so finished OCS seniors, uh, got commissioned in August of two thousand three the next school seat for what they call the basic school, which is a six month school for all officers, but it's basically to become a basic infantry platoon commander. Okay. Um, that was in November. So I was home for a little while, had a little job, and then I I went to uh um the basic school. Okay. And I was there and and so it's a six month school, but With holidays and everything, my school seat didn't actually open up until early the following year. So I was there for, with in processing and out processing, everything almost a year. So um, at the basic school, that's where you learn everything Um, navigation, how to lead small groups, uh, military history, everything, and uh, basic infantry tactics. Okay. You also pick your MOS while you're there if you're a ground. So that's
1: kind of like the, that's the, the line that you want to grow with through the army, through the The Marines. Marines, Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Oh boy. No problem. (laughs) I saw that look. (laughs)
0: So, so yeah, uh, that's where you're, you know, you pick what you want to do, your top five, top 10, and then you're, you're ranked, you're racked and stacked against everybody else. So I was, I think I was kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. So from there. Um, I picked that I wanted to be a combat engineer officer. It's in the same background that I was when I was enlisted. For sure. Um, it's in my opinion the best job in the Marine Corps because you get to do everything. Right. So You're
1: just kind of the Swiss Army knife.
0: You you do everything. So we're talking in charge of heavy equipment guys, in charge of water purification, in charge of electricians, in charge of HVAC guys, basic construction, basic bridge building. Uh, basic demolition and and then everything else like uh, route clearance falls underneath that okay um ordinance reduction with explosives that kind of stuff so you get to do basically everything that's cool right so, so
1: so at this point we're looking into so you're you're out of college or you're in college
0: I'm out of college
1: okay so you're 22
0: 20 yep yeah It was um 2003 I would have been
1: 22 yep so what, uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure people ask you this: where, what were you, where were you at in the Marines when 9-11 happened?
0: So I was at college. I I was at Northern for three years and, and Central for for uh, one year. So the year that I was at Central was two thousand one, two thousand two. So that September, uh, when when September eleventh happened, I was a lance corporal or a corporal. And, uh, I woke up and, uh, I was in my, uh, little apartment with my girlfriend and, um, turned the TV on, getting ready for class and, and saw everything that, that was happening.
1: What was, what was just, I mean, if you can remember, what was just the emotion in you? I mean, I packed my bags Yeah, because you you were ready. Well, I, I
0: knew it was coming. So, um, I packed my bags and, uh, you know.
1: I went, I went for, like, a five-mile hike just by myself. Yeah. So, Just a lot to kind of process, I would assume. Yeah. How long did it take until you actually heard the final word that you were?
0: So the unit that I was with was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, there was an air wing unit. I was a heavy equipment operator enlisted uh, reserve. And so um, they got activated. It would have been... It would have been, uh, I want to say that that following year. It took it took like a year for them to be activated. They were activated, I want to say, right around Christmas 2000, 2002. And so, uh, the major that was their major, Bannick, um, when he put together basically who's going and who's not, uh, pulled me in, and I was slated to go to OCS seniors that following summer. Okay. And so he said, um, you're not going. You're not going on the deployment because you're going to OCS. You're going to be an officer. That's your path. So I was activated to go on the deployment, and then I was told I'm not going because I'm going back to OCS. So I did not go on the initial push for for OIF. I went back to college and then went to OCS. Seniors got commissioned, and then I was active duty.
1: Did you have you know, and I understand this, this is kind of a tough question to ask, you know, a, a service member, but because you're, you're bred to take orders, regardless of the mission, you know, now that you're out, I mean, did you, at the time, did you feel like this was the right thing, like in your head?
0: I, I was going, you know, I, uh, I had planned to go, um, I had told all my college professors that I wasn't coming back, you know, anytime in the next For sure. year and, uh, you know, family, girlfriend, all that kind of stuff. I like, Hey, I'm, I'm out, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, to be told you're not going and you're going back uh, to college and then you show up and everyone's like, why the hell are you here? <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of a slap in the face, well, yeah, quite honestly. Because now
1: it, you're almost thinking like, what are these Am people? Am I a failure? It, you know? Yeah. You did know. I did I do something wrong? because like, at know. the time, patriotism was probably at its highest since. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a long time.
0: Well, and so here, think about this. So I come back from OCS.
1: All they all of
0: them come back from the deployment, and I got commissioned at the unit that I was at. So, you know, I show up wearing an officer's uniform and and you know they're all coming back from being overseas and i'm sure from their perspective they're like what is going on right you know but that's honestly that's the marine corps you know sometimes you get to go and sometimes you don't and that's for sure that's just something that happens you know not everybody
1: gets to go no i mean you you, s- know? you still had a mission i mean you yeah. were
0: and and you know major bannock i i uh i i respect him and looking back if if I had not uh, if I had went on the deployment and not went back to college the trajectory of the rest of my life may have been completely different
1: absolutely
0: because you know how it is when when you're at college and then you take a break for like a year and then trying to restart you know that's that that's could tough. be very difficult depending on what sure. what's going on so you know I, we could be in a very very different situation if I if I had went on that deployment so. Um. So, I, I'm a firm believer that kind of everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Or so it happened for a reason.
1: Right. Um, was there, was there, do you feel like there was this kind of attempt because of just frustration with the situation that you were like, I got, I got, I feel like I need to be doing more. Like, Always. Cause at first, cause you're a young man. Always. You know, now being, you know, more wiser, you're saying I had a purpose here. I had a mission, yeah. you know, and this was, this was my job, you know, and, um, f- you know, for me, you know, I, 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 obviously I didn't serve, but, um, I can imagine at some times there was just this, you know, always feel like you could do more. Yeah. So,
0: you know, no, uh, it was a support unit, uh, bulk fuel type of unit. So not in direct combat. Right. But, um, and nobody, nobody died in that deployment or anything like that, that I know of, but, um. You know you still feel like if you had went you would you would have contributed for sure um I was just f- told to to contribute in a different way, yeah, so did not make that deployment yeah but from there um got commissioned t b s went straight to um engineer officer school and that would have been uh by this time it would have been fall of o four and that's like a 3-month school where you learn how to bridge uh, bridge
1: build. Right. So at this point we're we're about so Fall of 04, we're about 2 years in.
0: Well, so 2001 happened, but we didn't actually go to Iraq was, until 2003. We did was, go to Afghanistan okay, right three, away. Right. But Marines, you know, besides the initial part of Afghanistan, Marines actually pulled a lot out of Afghanistan and put all their effort into Iraq. Right. So from a Marine perspective, Marines started really deploying uh in early o three, and here I am in you know late two thousand four early two thousand five finishing up engineer school. I get my first platoon at second combat engineer battalion in north carolina um in it would have been uh early two thousand five so I finished everything in o four school wise Early 2005, I report into Second CEB in Camp Lejeune. I get my first platoon as a second lieutenant. Right. So, all these guys just came back from Fallujah, the 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 big the fight in Fallujah. Yeah. Uh, they were with One Eight, so Second or First Battalion Eighth Marines. Um, the platoon commander I I took over for you know was getting out. Right highly decorated um, his whole platoon highly highly and then my platoon highly decorated uh just to give you an example my heavy equipment operator um who i'm still friends with uh, was in fallujah driving a d9 bulldozer which is so big um that it requires two people to actually drive it well. So they're so
1: they're using this equipment. I obviously I assume to
0: push over buildings, push
1: over buildings. You know anything that had already been bombed or breach breach breached. doors. Yeah, yeah.
0: So this guy's driving this bulldozer. He actually got uh, a Navy Achievement Medal with a V for uh, dropping the blade on multiple insurgents. Wow. Yeah. So he, for lack of better terms, killed insurgents with a bulldozer.
1: And in and- and he's also, I mean, you're a little, are you, so where you're at and your age in this, are you older or are you about average age for a lot of these guys? So
0: I'm 23, 24. Um, my staff NCOs, so I had two staff sergeants, were probably 30. Both of them were probably about 30 years old. Um, I had a couple sergeants that are probably 25, 26, and then everyone else is probably 18 to 22, 23. Okay. So I'm kind of in the middle is the best way to say it. And, yeah, so I got a, a bunch of guys that have been through real combat with uh, direct support of, of 1-8 in Fallujah. For sure. And uh, some of them rotate out, some of them rotate in, and I take you know that, that group of guys back to uh, just outside of Fallujah on the east side. Uh, we we uh, went the summer of... Uh, 05 to uh, a city called Karma, um, so just uh, just east of Fallujah, um, and we had some stuff in Fallujah, like we supported the uh, the national vote in Fallujah, and I came up with a barrier plan for for a good part of that.
1: that what's part what's, of it. what's it feel like outside at this point? Like, like is it diff- What kind of in, heat are you? Are we talking here?
0: Outside temperature uh, high of. Probably touching 130.
1: Yeah. Just different kind of heat, though, obviously. Oh, it's dry heat. Yeah. It's not like Florida.
0: It's like Arizona.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But but just consistent. What are the nights like?
0: Uh, In the summer, I don't remember what temperature, but I'm going to say probably 70s or 80s yeah. in, in in the evening. Now, the winter, uh, it gets cold. It's probably maybe 30 outside oh, yeah. during the day. Right. And, Maybe colder at night. Yeah, you know, I think so a lot ice. of people
1: misunderstand. Like it gets very you see the chilly full out spectrum. there. Well, especially in Afghanistan, like they have they have mountains. It snows. <laughs> and snow. It yeah. snows. You know, and um, I think one of the things when I kind of um, you know I, I so by the time you're at this point, call it 2003, 2004, I'm 16 years old. You okay. Know? So I'm I'm a sophomore in high school. You know, at this point the patriotism, it's running high. You know, we're just Oh yeah. We're we're just like, all right guys, let's 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 get this bastard, you know? Yeah. And um I think we were just kind of we were kind of just sitting back waiting and and I think the thing when as as an outsider, and I'm sure you hear this um, you know, day one, we hear losing a troop. We hear losing troops. We're here and we're just thinking to ourselves, like, why is this happening? Why Is this something that they know like they just obviously know the area? Yeah. Like a lot like Vietnam, you know? Oh yeah. That's why it was so difficult to fight the Vietnamese. Because they just knew the the land very well.
0: And nobody's wearing uniforms. Yeah. Everyone's wearing the same outfit.
1: Well, and, and that's where, you know, we got obviously, you know, suicide bombers.
0: That and homemade pressure plate IEDs and all types of stuff. Basically being sucker punched. Would
1: you see that kind of stuff with your heavy machine? Would they use your type of machinery to clear things like that? Or was there a certain operation for that?
0: Um, in 2005, no. I mean, there was a lot of experimentation happening, trying to figure out how to best repel against all that kind of stuff. But we were straight up old school. Um mine detectors which are metal detectors and we had the old school anpss-12 mine detectors um, and starting to transition to a, a something that had ground penetrating radar called the anpss-14 okay so guys would literally strap it to their arm with a battery and walk down the road sweeping left to right until they you know found something and then you know we would probe and and dig up and at in that deployment uh engineers had a lot more freedom and flexibility to uh find things and and reduce things uh if we if we did find uh stuff we did call eod but uh there was a lot of times that we didn't have to right after that deployment it got very very strict for sure and eod had to be called for everything but think about sitting out in the middle of nowhere, and you find something, and having to wait 16 hours for EOD to show up when you have, you know, C4 on your truck. Absolutely. And it's basic stuff like uh, I don't know an artillery shell or a right. hundred artillery shells, and you can blow it up yourself. No,
1: no, no, for sure. A lot of times we just did it. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of. Just think back to even watching videos and, um, you know, not so many of my friends, because I was, you know, younger. A lot of my friends, obviously, they didn't enlist until 2006, 2007, because that's when they were 18. Yeah. And, you know, at that point, we were going strong in Afghanistan at that point, you know, because, you know, know, we were still trying to go after uh, bin Laden. Yeah. And um, um, Saddam Hussein really wasn't, like, a high-priority target at that point. Yeah, You know, um, I think just, I think there was some conflict of interest between the United States and, uh, Saddam Hussein at the time. You know, I mean, basically in the nineties, that dude was coming. We were, we were hugging, you know, we were friends. Well, we
0: beat him bad in 91 yeah. and then, uh, right. yeah, all the sanctions and everything. He, he wanted yeah, to he get on our good side. He understood.
1: Yeah. And, um. I mean I always kind of think back to those those pictures of you know him like cowering down in that little cell hole and they were like pulling him out and stuff like that and I mean regardless of where we were at the time with like presidents and stuff like that regardless of how we agreed or disagreed like that to me was still like a good moment because that agreed. guy was a terrible person agreed a terrible man
0: Yeah you have to hold uh you have to hold bad people accountable
1: and I never thought through the trial of his trial. I remember watching it and coming home and I didn't think that that outcome. I mean I mean who would have thought? Yeah. But um so okay, so now we're 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 in 2005. 2005. Okay. And, they called
0: it OIF3 at the time.
1: Okay. So what's what's the core mission at this point? For for so, for you guys?
0: So every unit got, you know, an area or a sector that, you know, you're doing uh, what they call stability operations. You're trying to stabilize uh, the area. Um, the first, you know, real vote is happening during that time frame. And so we're we're trying to do stability operations and uh, set up a, a national election so that they can start to put together this is Iraq Iraq okay so they're trying to put together their government and get back into functioning on their own
1: so where's Baghdad at this point
0: so Fallujah is west of me I don't know uh, 10 clicks 15 clicks kilometers Baghdad is uh, I don't remember the name of the road but it's probably an hour east of me maybe an hour and a half east of me Um, and in the middle is Abu Ghraib Okay. Which you've heard of, yeah, absolutely. So, so we operate between Fallujah and the and the eastern side of Fallujah and Abu Ghraib.
1: So you're in what's called the hot zone. Are you in the hot zone? I Fallujah mean, is a hot zone. Fallujah
0: was a hot zone. We're just east of there. Karma to the north. Okay. And then Al Zayden to the to the south. Okay. And and we're at a base called uh, Camp Fallujah. Okay. Which is out in the middle of nowhere used to be some kind of a complex of buildings fenced off and now you have two or three battalions of marines so you have probably 4 to 5,000 marines plus all the support structure uh on Camp Fallujah. So okay. we operated out of Camp Fallujah. Okay. Think of a bunch of concrete buildings um with some some new buildings by US contractors right. and that's pretty much it. So we operated out of Camp Fallujah. You know, we would head north most of the time to Karma. There was maybe four or five what we call the combat outposts um, where, you know, each company from the battalion would would have a sector of, of right. that area. Um, and so my job as an engineer officer and my platoon was to support each each one of those company commanders um, if they needed, you know, to fortify the, the structures that they were operating in, you know, my guys can do concertina wire. We can do HESCO, which are these, think of like a giant beanbag, uh, seven foot by seven foot and seven foot tall filled with sand. Okay. And, and, and the beanbag is made out of steel and, and that beanbag material Something so like what that. are they
1: lifting? Are you lifting these with dozers or helicopters or?
0: So we we set the set up the the Hesco with you know man you know manpower and then we would fill it with front end loaders. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting uh, looking back. Or millions and millions of dollars of this material, and, right. and we're filling it full of sand. And sometimes it it lasted for years, and sometimes you know the decision would be made hey, we're going to tear it down and move somewhere else. Right. And millions of dollars of, you know, this material and, and stuff, you know, would just, just disappear or, you know, for sure. just be scrap.
1: So, um, Who's your commanding officer at this time? Who are you taking
0: so, orders um, from? So I was the engineer officer, which is a special staff officer. The battalion commander was uh, Colonel J.J. Minnick. Um, I worked for him but reported directly to his operations officer, which was major bear Stow. And so, um, the, the in, operations in the, officer in the
1: major level, where, where, where can we, so for I was, those? I was a
0: second Lieutenant promoted to first Lieutenant turn, during this deployment. Okay. Uh, and then, so you have second Lieutenant, first Lieutenant captain, major Lieutenant Colonel. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a second Lieutenant becoming a first Lieutenant reporting to the major, um, who's the operations officer and then the battalion commander is in charge of everything. Okay. So in the business world, you know, this is kind of like a, a chief operations officer for a thousand person business reporting to a CEO, uh, who's in charge of everything for that third, uh, thousand person business. So, okay. And so, yeah, the operations officer is conducting all the operations throughout the battalion and, uh, my job is to support him on anything related to uh, um, the engineer needs for all these company commanders. For
1: sure. So, for those who, for those who are listening, can you explain the difference? What is the core mission difference between the army and the marines? Obviously, we know the navy. Yeah. A little more in the air force. So, I think a lot of people get like, "Oh, hey, are you are you must be army." I'm like, "No, nah, I'm a marine." Like, Oh, you know, I think Marines are kind of those guys that are like, you don't know if they're army or not. You just assume, you know?
0: (laughs) So the, the, the biggest difference is Marines are supposed to be expeditionary. We, we jump in very quickly, very fast, uh, and make things happen very, very fast. Uh, expeditionary means you're not building permanent structures. You are on the move constantly. Um, probably uh, you're like like the Dora
1: Explorers you're just like with with moving from spot to spot
0: with a baseball bat wrapped in in concertina wire yeah there you go so you know while
1: she's holding a nuke correct (laughs) okay so
0: (laughs) the army is more of a long term sustainable type of force right um where they where they when they go somewhere they're there for years you're
1: like a girlfriend in a one-night hookup
0: correct correct (laughs) yeah we're in and out quick so (laughs) so that's you know but we but when we when we are projected out uh, you know that that power is unmatched right so marines typically have everything they need so you have ground forces you have air forces uh, we have our own planes and helicopters, all that kind of stuff. We have we have our own artillery, or at least we used to. Where you know you can do what is called combined arms. So you have ground people, you have air people that can provide support to the ground, but then you have indirect fires like artillery, and now they have these new missile type of units that can actually drop in, you know, uh, projectiles like okay. that indirect right. fire. So th- when you put all that together and it's coordinated correctly, it's called combined arms.
1: Okay,
0: It's kind of like a one, two, three punch is the easiest way to say it. Okay. You know, instead of just, instead of just throwing a right hand jab, you have a right hand jab with a left hook. And oh yeah, by the way, you have a knee that you can throw up there every once in a while too. So Mm -hmm. you put it all together. It's almost like the perfect street fighter is the best way to say it. The army though is, you know, they're big and they're slow. And when they get there, they're there forever.
1: Right. Still
0: can do a lot of the cool stuff for sure. Still have special forces and
1: for all any everything. future army guys, let's not start any beef. You know, yeah, <laughs> you could tell for the is there still is, got a lot of love does for that, army? Yeah, for sure. I,
0: I've hired a lot of army guys in the business world. Still got a lot of love. So
1: yeah, and I I always think about that, and you know, and, I mean, it it's obviously this is not out of. I'm sure you've talked to people about this. Not out of disrespectful talk but i was like if i had to join somewhere i feel like me personally like um i, w- I would like the marines you know myself
0: it's a better uniform
1: yeah there you go yeah <laughs> it's a lot more it's just flat <laughs> you know it's very very crisp you see those guys those are just some shiny shoes
0: i mean we get a sword we get everything
1: i know and yeah and i think about uh, i think about the navy i was like i don't want to wear bell bottoms <laughs> like <laughs> i mean me and bell bottoms it just wouldn't look good <laughs> But uh, my 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 uncle, um, he was in the Navy and my dad would tell me stories about that. And, you know, just from what he would learn from his brother and, um, you know, and I knew, I knew some guys in the Navy. But um, I, I just I kind of think about the different servicemen and, you know, now we have Space Force, you, you know?
0: know, and and there's a lot of reasons why.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely, and and think
0: of all the satellites. Oh, well. That, well, you know that are being used by all the different countries for communications. That alone, a lot is of justification. a lot of
1: people don't know. Actually, I think it was like two weeks ago. So, um, don't quote me on this, but this is we're now February sixteenth. I had heard that two weeks ago, like forty some Starlink, Elon Musk company Starlink satellites. Just yep. like fell out of the sky because there was such bad gamma rays from the sun. The sun had such a large, like, sonar or like solar uh, what do they call them? They call them uh, solar uh, flares. Yeah, solar flares essentially. Okay. Ma- coronal mass injections, I think that's what they call them. And it had such this high energy and it literally knocked these things right 40 of them. Wow. They, they said it was like an entire mission. Wow, I think about forty satellites flying in space, and I think of the movie Wall-E. I'm like, this shit's gonna be, th- this is gonna be hitting each other, you know.
0: Think think about you know the projectiles coming out of space like that. Absolutely, think about how much money was lost when that happened?
1: Yeah, well, they think of, well, they're saying now that they're saying now that China has some transonic, like undetectable nuke now, mm-hmm. and I think about that, and I think one of the first things that I always think about is I always think about the Israeli army, you know, the Iron Dome. Yep. Like what kind of, you know, I'm sure our techniques of stopping anything from coming in has got to be pretty, pretty swell, you know?
0: Well, from a, de- from a defense perspective, you know, you have, you have all these countries that have satellites, you have private companies that have satellites. There is weaponry, you know, probably being developed by countries that can be used from space. Uh, and, you know, you're using, you know, the speed and the orbit and all that kind of stuff to get wherever you got to get to project whatever you're going to project onto your enemy. For sure. Um, that's on top of, you know, just the communications aspect, which I am not a comm officer, so I can't, com- I can't, right. I can't talk about that kind of stuff. But it's with technology advancing as fast as it is, um, I think there's going to become more and more of a need for right. that so it's 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 a good thing in my mind that uh that it's being addressed and it's in it
1: it was necessary we
0: don't we don't get too far behind is the best way to say it
1: because it's easy to fall behind especially in the
0: with technology yeah think of you know all the all the even computers and crypto and all those things that um are happening um if we fall too be, too far behind you know, I don't know how you would catch up. Because, so. I
1: mean, in, in, in your daily life still, you're still taking these m- things that you learned from the military and you're you're assessing the situation. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, everything you see, and, and obviously children, you know, that's... Yep. Um, uh, and I, I think about those kind of things, too. I think about uh, just what that type of upbringing... Because I looked at that... I looked at that... Um, I looked at that um, That group of young men the other day, you know, when I was in Minneapolis and I mean, it was probably four or 500. It was a ton of them. Yeah. They literally took up half of the wing of the airport. There were so many of them. There were a lot of them were sleeping on the floor. And I'll tell you what, there was this dude, there was these two brothers that came up and you knew that they meant business. They were walking down and they were like, get your ass up now. And then I, 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 Courtney and I were like, I almost sat like sat at attention. I was like, Oh No. (laughs) And, uh, so we're, everybody, everybody around is kind of like, we're just genuinely curious. It's like a car wreck, you know, we're like, where were you? I was outside cleaning a dish when this happened. Like I was in the moment and I saw this, uh, I saw this group of young guys and, um, and I remember this, I don't know his position. I'm assuming he was some sort of Sergeant, both of them. And, um, just very stoic men. You could tell these guys were leaders mm-hmm. and, uh, and, um. So, anyways, they're like, "All right, everybody, report to your position." And they're using some you know, using some language, yeah. You know, even it happens the, in the military, even there, you know, because yeah. it was it was ninety nine percent military, and there was just a few of us trickling in, you yeah. know, to get on our flight and uh, to come back to Chicago. And so, um, you know, I remember here, I kind of overheard him talking to his, uh, his his partner about them leaving trash behind. Oh, and like. You know, he, he said this one thing. And He's like, no, "We're no. gonna we're gonna leave this place better than we found it." And I thought, and I was like, "That's a profound thing to say, right there."
0: That's a military thing.
1: Yeah, we're yeah, and I and I heard this story just literally hours before that. Uh, uh, um, so we were at this conference in Minneapolis, and uh, Kyle Engel, who's uh, you know an, an inspirational man, he was in the army, and he yep. was literally just telling a story. About how his commanding officer, when there was trash on the ground and, and he had said, you know, sir, this isn't ours. You know, we didn't do it. And he says, I don't care. Pick it up. We're going to leave this better than the way we found it. Yep. And I literally thought to myself, I was like, I th- the universe is speaking to me when I heard that. And it's, and now I have to apply this principle because that's the, we, we, there's so many different types of these words for leaders, you know, and we see I see a man, I see two men like that and I'm thinking, wow, like they're here to make a difference. They're here to, they have a mission to make these young men stronger in order to help us.
0: And who knows where they're going? Were they going to Germany? Were they going to Korea? Were they, you know, where? Right. But wherever they're going, those guys are are trying to make them better and,
1: and being able to contribute on a higher level. Well, there was actually, so... Okay, 90% of them are already. There was one unit that was kind of kind of lingering behind. They must have been on they were so they were boarding this mass. It had to have been like a 767. Yep. It was an, a massive plane. And uh Air Continental. I've never heard of this airline.
0: Government contracted. Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. It was a double <laughs> it was like a double-decker plane. So they're getting on and then they're playing Lee Greenwood's like as they're getting on, you know, God bless the <laughs> USA and great song yeah for sure no doubt and uh, a big crowd pleaser and um so anyways there's this one guy kind of walking behind and uh he he's going to pick up his gear Uh and courtney and i are we're we're again we're just kind of you know we're window shopping we're just watching and uh and this commander or this sergeant you know he goes he says to this guy he goes hey man you ever seen the movie friday and he goes what do you mean he goes. I, I heard it. He goes. He goes. What are you talking about? He goes. You know the movie Friday. You know old old movie. He goes. Uh, he goes. Yeah. I've
0: seen it a hundred times.
1: He goes. He goes. You know the scene where Debo snatches that chain. That kid. <laughs> that that officer had a chain outside of his outside Ooh. of his outside of his gear. So I thought I was like, dude, what a reference. Yeah. Like he was about to lay this guy if he didn't put that chain. Like he was gonna snatch it right <laughs> off his neck you know and i i mean literally i at that point like i had goosebumps <laughs> i mean i know that sounds something that, you know i couldn't believe i like i sat there and i was like don't fuck with that guy yeah <laughs> you know dead serious dead serious yeah
0: well you know it's in the in the military no matter what branch you know you have a code you have right from wrong there is very little gray area in a lot of in a lot of ways so that's that's very different from the business world. In the business world, you know there is a lot of gray, and so when you see things like that in the military, oh boy,
1: you hear a lot of screaming. Sorry, it's everybody. Okay. Hey, we're gonna no, get, I get it. That's all right. I have eventually too. we're gonna be in a very quiet room.
0: <laughs> but yeah, in the military, it's it's very black and white, and uh, expectations are typically in writing. Um, I need you to do this by this time, and this is how get it done. And so uh, that's why you see execution happen on that level in the military. There's no gray area. For sure. You know, I see it in the business world all the time now where, you know, it's like, well, um, maybe you can do it kind of like this. And here's a blank spreadsheet. Fill it out however you want. And, uh, you know, you can get us the results whenever you can. For sure. And it's like, that's that's not good. These people need still need direction even if you're not gonna get to that crazy level of execution still give them up a, a spreadsheet that's filled out a certain way like
1: brian kelly execution i'm executing everybody uh, I, I don't <laughs> not know about that, that execution but, <laughs> but like but yeah
0: here's the deadline right here's the spreadsheet here's how it's filled out get it done right thank, thank you very much you know you can still be nice about it for but sure people still want direction they still want to be led We know? we were born to be led you know, I mean, don't like that ambiguity. It's no. crazy. We
1: can look back to even uh, biblical reference for that, Correct. because we're always, I mean, everybody looked to everybody looked to Noah, or well, not so much Noah, but at the time, but everybody looked to Moses. Everybody looked to Abraham. You know, there was just always these men that everybody wanted to be led in some sort of way, and that's where, you know, it, I will say the one thing. Um, about Israel. we looked. I, I like to look to Israel. So, fun, kind of, not, I wouldn't say fun fact. So, a lot of professional women golfers come out of South Korea. Is that right? Because the men have to serve. It's part, like, you okay. have to serve in the in the military in Korea. I think it should be that way here, by the way. I, I, I yeah. I, I think there is. At least one year. There's no doubt. Some sort of basic training. Correct. Some sort of basic survival I mean
0: even Anything. boot camp and a and you know a three month so let's say a three month boot camp and three month uh occupational specialty, think of the shortage in skilled trades currently uh, it's, if it's put, astonishing if even if we put a thousand people through a pilot program where they went through boot camp and became electricians, we would have a thousand more electricians throughout the United States, which is nothing but it would it's something still absolutely. And you know that that is the kind of stuff that I think um, people who who hold public office now should be pushing.
1: Yeah, I I mean, for me, I think it's it's definitely um, we're obviously going through a bad generational change. Correct. You know, I see that even in my occupation, what I do with you know, in its these positions that you're talking about, electricians, plumbers, you know, HVAC. things like this, HVAC, you know, all these all these blue, you know. Blue collar jobs was what you know we would call Welders, today, right? Everything. You know, um, but but it. I think that's kind of one of those out of sight, out of mind things for a lot of the new generation because if I don't
0: see it until they go four I or five years with no heat,
1: uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. My heat went out on the on literally almost Christmas Eve, you know, and I was like, I know who I'm calling. <laughs> I was on it, and uh, but I think that's. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know that we'll get back to that,
0: man. I I, I hope so. I hope whatever happens in the next uh, election that people think about that kind of thing, where programs that actually fix problems are put right. into place. And and this is a very simple one. How hard is it to find another thousand people, put them in a pilot program for a one-year reserve contract? They go to boot camp. They go to Electrician school for three months, and then they come out with another six months of reserve commitment so six weekends. And then we have a thousand more electricians, or they're not electricians, but they have a base concept for sure of being an electrician. And then they can walk into whatever it is, whether it's a a non union shop or a union shop, and say, Hey, I've gotten you know three months of training. I understand basic science of electricity. Right. I'm, I'm physically fit. I'm mentally fit. I can pass a background track. Uh, put me to work. And we have a thousand more electricians at that time. Right. That would, it's not going to change everything, but it is for sure a step in the right direction.
1: Okay. So I know your time's limited here, but I, I, let's kind of, let's we, can, c- we can
0: go a little bit longer. Let's
1: kind of retreat. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I, we got about 20. About twenty minutes. 15 we can go, we minutes. can go until seven. That's fine. Okay. So let's kind of like retrace back. Okay. So we're two thousand six. So we're OAF three. Okay. Yep.
0: De- deployed with uh, second battalion, second Marines. Okay. Um you know, I'm not I'm not gonna lie, man, it, it was a tough deployment. Um, you know, I I, I don't know the exact number of, of Marines that were lost, but uh, I think it's upwards of twenty. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a tough deployment. I, I did not lose any Marines um, in my platoon, um, but we did lose Marines while I was on missions. You know, it's tough, man. It It is tough. Um, but uh, I would tell you, you know, that, that battalion, uh, the the Marines in that battalion, they, they did everything that they were supposed to do, you know. And so, um, came back from that deployment in... I want to say it was February of 2006 and then I had a short break my my battalion commander from cuz I got transferred back to 2nd CB right. he said uh take 3 weeks off so he
1: he gave me 3 weeks off I So I, what does that entail like when they say you know go take three you know do you so just jump on a C130 and you know? So we 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 came back to the US um
0: and Turn the platoon over to the next platoon commander, who's uh, a friend of mine. His name's Scott. He's now a lieutenant colonel, and so uh,
1: shout out to Scott. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so uh, turn the platoon over to him, battalion commander, uh, who's now a I want to say a lieutenant general, um, still still, still in serving, service. still okay. serving. Wow. Um, and
1: uh, that's a high position.
0: I'll, I'll say his, da- his name is David Adignan. Al- so okay, uh, at that time he was a lieutenant colonel for Second CB. Now he's a, a I want to say he's a three star general. But uh, he said, "Hey, take three weeks off and then come back and we'll see what's going on." So take three weeks off, come back here to, to uh, Southwest Michigan because my wife stayed here
1: while I deployed. And you're mar- you, so you're married I, at this I'm point? Married, Kids? Yep,
0: uh, one, yeah. just one. Well, at stepdaughter plus plus, we had one. Right, so, and so you're 27. So this would have been February of 2006. I would have turned 25. 25. Okay. So
1: still a very young man.
0: Yeah, yeah. So first lieutenant, 25. Uh, take take three weeks of vacation. Come back to uh, camp Lejeune, June. Uh, walk in. They say, hey, uh, we're sending you next door. Uh, to second LAR, so second light armored reconnaissance battalion, still an infantry unit, but uh, instead of being what we call straight leg infantry, it's a mechanized battalion. They have all these uh, eight wheel vehicles called LAVs. Okay. Some of them with uh, rockets. Are those the ones where the wheels motors. like
1: all turn together? Correct. Yeah. Okay.
0: Kind of like a striker, but right. Not tracked. It's a wheeled vehicle. So. I'll walk next door and uh, I'm now the special staff officer and engineer for second LAR uh, working for um, arguably I would I would say uh, the best leader that I have ever served under um, at that time, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Austin Renforth, also known as Sparky Renforth, who's now a but uh, I would say he's a major general. So he's a two star general right now. so, best leader I've ever had. Um, he actually uh, coached sprint football at, at the Naval Academy as a major. So, anyways, um, we spin up for six months for a deployment again to Iraq. This time on the west side of Iraq, uh, in uh, Ana and Rawa, uh, Iraq on the west side. So, um, so I'm I'm supporting them with uh, with no Marines. Oh, boy. No Marines until I I actually meet my platoon in country, which is, you know, shocking because mm-hmm. usually you get to train up with the people that you're going to serve with. Right. So, um, so I meet my platoon, which is a reserve platoon out of Tennessee. I meet them in country, uh, and I, I get, you know, basically the first half up front and then I get the second half later on in the deployment. So, um, Different uh, mission in some ways because the ability to use uh, explosives, you know, was drastically reduced um, between deployments just by, you know, policy. So uh, the second deployment, we we did have EOD uh, basically attached and uh, whenever we would find something, they would come out and, and blow it up. You know and and basically do it for my guys but they still let our guys you know be involved for getting experience and stuff so different mission uh i i I know that uh one mission we actually found a very significant um uh weapons cache we're talking thousands and thousands of pounds of of ordinance that was actually it was on some islands and uh so one of my Marines, who was a sergeant at the time, Sergeant Armstrong, who's now a pilot for, for Private Airline, he's he's a cool guy. His name's Chuck. Yeah. So uh, I think it was him. And I actually did not go on this mission. I was planning for other missions. So I stayed back and sent my Marines out with an infantry company. But he, he looked at this island and he said, something's just not right. And so he went out uh, on a rowboat. You know, in full full uniform with a uh, sappy place, wearing like 100 pounds of gear. Right. Rows out to this island with a couple guys, I think, and, you know, starts, you know, sweeping the mine detectors and sure. finds just tons and tons and tons of ordnance. And this was briefed at the Secretary of Defense level, uh, Rumsfeld, at the time. You know, so it was, it was very significant to be briefed at that level. For sure. So um
1: You're you kind know, of in awe at that point. You're like, And, and I oh was boy.
0: back. I was back at, at we were at a at a base way out in the middle of nowhere. But uh, <laughs> Oh my goodness. But uh yeah, so I was back at the base working on some plans for some other stuff that we had coming up, but uh that was a significant find for the platoon. Um, you know, supporting a lot of stuff. Um you know, great opportunity with uh, supporting some of some of the best leaders that I've ever worked with. Uh, and in about a week, it'll be the anniversary of when I, I got blown up by an IED. So um, one of the missions we did on that deployment was, uh, they call it Clear Hold Build. And we did that around the city of Ana, which is, I don't know, maybe, maybe the size of Niles. Right. So... Uh, let's just say 30,000 people. What we did was I had nine or 10 bulldozers and we surrounded the city. They, they cleared the city with all the military people. We actually went door to door. They cleared of any insurgents, any weaponry, all that kind of stuff. While that was happening, we pushed up a, a basically a 10 foot wall all the way around the city. Okay. So we did bulldozers on one side of the city uh, just literally pushed up,
1: it's like ten, the wall a wall of Jericho, man.
0: A, a ten-foot wall, right? Um, for about four days, and on the other side of the city, we we did it differently. so we we actually put Hesco up that 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 uh, that basically beanbag right, fill beanbag, up with yeah. uh, with dirt. So we did that around the other side of the city, and and I don't remember why we did it that way. I think it was just you know lack of equipment. But anyways, it worked. And then we had one entry control point that we built. Uh, at the at the southeast side of the city, on the main road coming in, and that was basically your only way in or out of the city. Right. So we built that. So, um, you know, the infantry and Iraqi army and all that they they manned that that entry control point. Um, there was a suicide bomber that came in and blew it up, mm-hmm. and had to rebuild it again. And the whole time that that all was happening, um, there was a giant hill. Right next to that entry control point on the southeast side of the city, and we uh, we going to put a, a small outpost on the top of that. Right. Um, when we are doing that, we had two IDs go off and blow up two of my pieces of equipment. I, I lost a uh, a front end loader and a bulldozer. Blew the tracks off of the dozer. So and that's
1: a, that's a noise and that's something oh you'll man. remember oh for man. forever. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, the noise of it. I'm one sure one of
0: one of my Marines got a Purple Heart from from the dozer. He was in the dozer just because you know the concussion and everything. You know, uh, bursts his eardrum or something like that. So, um, yeah. And then after we pushed up all that, like it was a month or two later, I was asked to go back out and do what we called berm maintenance. So. Some of the locals were taking like dirt bikes and they're trying to reduce the hill down and actually um, create a pathway out without having to go through the entry control point. Okay, So I was asked or in the military called tasked to go out and actually push the hill back up. So we're going around the city around this 10-foot wall of dirt and finding the spots that were um, – you know have had been reduced by the locals and as we are doing that i had a, a bulldozer behind me um that was moving at about four miles an hour pretty okay. s- pretty slow right fast for that piece of gear but slow when so, you think of a yeah. vehicle moving so four miles an hour i'm in the lead vehicle and uh our vehicle um hits a pressure plate IED. um when EOD came out to to do the uh, assessment, they said it was two 155 millimeter artillery shells, an oxygen tank, and an acetylene tank. Um, and so when you when you see all that go off with some explosives and a pressure plate, it it creates a pretty pretty good sized fireball. And so that went uh, off underneath the uh, the front right wheel. I was in the front right seat. Um, it blew the wheel off. I don't know 100 foot just gone you know what a hundred pound wheel gone 100, you know uh, most of the engine gone the front what, of the vehicle what were gone. they making
1: these out of i mean were so they just
0: two 255 millimeter artillery shells so you know those are designed to cause death for sure and then an oxygen tank and an acetylene tank which if you if you ever been around welders that's what they weld with It's right it's explosive if it's not controlled so right all that was buried in the ground and so my vehicle ran over it and uh, I think the only thing that really saved me from losing my legs was um, that we were moving so slow. If we had been moving at 40 miles an hour instead of four, you know, I think the time lapse, and I never did the math, but I think the time lapse of the vehicle moving forward at a, at a, at a certain pace would have been significantly different. Where, where
1: are you at this point in time? I, I'm, in the, I'm
0: in the front right of the vehicle. I'm in the, I'm in the front passenger seat. And it went off underneath my, my wheel. But like I said, if I had been moving much faster than four miles an hour, if I had been moving at 40, the, the explosion, when it went off, would have been off underneath my seat instead of in front of me in, you know, the engine took the brunt. So
1: you're, so you're, you're, you're actually rolling right over this thing. Oh yeah.
0: My wheel, but the wheels in front of me, you know, whatever, two, two foot or whatever, three foot. And, uh, you know
1: what vehicle is this technically called that you're Humvee in? That you're, So, so we're, you're in a Humvee. Okay. And you know, that's close to the ground for sure. And those are what, like 37 inch tires, somewhere Something in there.
0: Something like that. Those um, are, so those
1: are, those are thick. This
0: is not a V shaped hull, which, you know, they does, they did later on, um, to prevent, uh, the explosion coming up underneath. But yeah, very, very lucky. Um, you know, all of us, my, my, uh, driver got a little bit of plastic shrapnel on the face uh the the gunner who was standing out the top um he got knocked out i got knocked out the gunner up top is actually his second purple heart he got shot in the shoulder by a sniper uh a couple months earlier
1: so um so that, his that, that, if, and, to me to think about those guys being snipers the i, I mean hey, the infidels and like I, think, I mean
0: yeah well they call us infidels but anyways yeah
1: there you yeah. go <laughs> well you are I (laughs) mean,
0: but uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. You know, we all kind of woke up, and uh, the vehicle was on fire, and uh, everyone got out okay, and everything. But uh, the vehicle was obviously trashed. So, so. I
1: mean, I I mean, you don't have to get into this, but I mean, is it really like how they kind of portray it in movies? Like, there's that real loud, sharp, piercing noise, and everything kind of goes like almost like a concussion like you're conco- yeah. quite like you're frankly just-
0: there was no noise for me i don't know if it's like in certain people like um your ears just turn off but i i don't remember hearing anything i just remember everything going black and then i don't know whatever 15 30 seconds later i wake up and i see you know him laying on the steering wheel with some black plastic in his face and some smoke coming out and seeing a little bit of flames and you know, we all get out of the vehicle, and you start hearing some music playing from the local mosque, and uh, it's you know whatever. I guess it's you, like
1: movie esque, man. Like
0: celebration type of music, man. It's it's very upsetting. So, wow. Yeah, you know, and so I'm dazed and confused, and I have a loudspeaker on my on my.
1: uh <laughs> how many vehicles are um, in this a, platoon
0: i think it, well it was just a small group so small it was group, like yeah. it was like four four vehicles with the dozer right behind me so
1: what would have done to that do probably nothing to that dozer it would have took it, it, it you know you it would have it, it up it.
0: yeah it might have yeah. blew the track off or something but yeah i got on my loudspeaker and i was like you can't kill
1: me <laughs> well at that point you're now <laughs> adrenaline's kicking in
0: so yeah and then uh you know, my my platoon sergeant ran up and he's like, "Are you all right?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm good, man." I was like, "Call call back to the uh, to the company outpost and uh, tell them we need a wrecker and you know all that kind of stuff." So, so
1: so so strategically, after this happens, are you then to report obviously obviously the incident? But now, what's what's the follow up to this? Like, do they now scale this road to like then check? It, so it's right outside
0: of the city. Like, think about, there's nothing out there. Think of like a city in the middle of the desert, and then outside of that, there's nothing for 15 miles. That's basically what this is. It's almost in an oasis. Now, it's along the Euphrates, but there's nothing else around there except for, sure. for a road to the to the next biggest city, which right. was Ana to the northwest, like, like 40 minutes away, basically. Um, so we had a, a a company outpost you know in the city of ana it was uh echo company two eight we call them easy company so you know they're operating out of there you know they call in the wreckers and stuff from from up at the battalion headquarters 40 minutes away they come down they get my vehicle up all that i get in the back of a uh, the eod vehicle and uh the other marines and you know get checked out back at the uh at the uh, company outpost and all that. And then um, battalion surgeon says 30 uh, days. You can't, you cannot leave the wire for 30 days, you know, because you've had, you know, trauma, b- brain trauma and right. all that kind of stuff. And uh, my boss, m- my boss, uh, and I, I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble, but my boss came up to me uh, like two or three days in. I'm sitting at the, in the uh, operations center, and uh, he comes in. He's like, hey, man. He's like, uh, what are you doing? And I'm like.
1: Digging I, I'm, orders. I'm like,
0: <laughs> I'm like I am don't know what you mean, sir. And he's like, "He's like, so uh, what the hell are you doing sitting here? And I'm like, I was told I can't leave the wire, sir. And he's like, I don't give a shit what he said. He said, I need you in front of your boys. I need you out there. He, and he, you know. He used some strong language, like sure. "Are you a right wussy?" But with a different letter. Yeah, and sure. I was like, "They ain't a problem on this side, sir." Yeah. I'd do whatever you want. And you I'm- have to
1: take. You have to take orders from this surgeon. Well, this, you're supposed this, to. Yeah. This and post. so
0: you know, the boss, you know, he's like, he's like, he's like, "I need you out there." And I was like, I was like, "Do I have the green light, sir?" And he's like, "It doesn't get any greener." And I was like, "Roger that." Right. So right. I got up and I left. <laughs> And uh, and so I was back out of what like day four with uh, with uh, with with the platoon. So you know, and you know at that point, the thought process in my mind is like, well, shit, I I just about died. So uh, you know, I guess whatever happens happens. You know, for sure. So that's that's kind of how that went, and that was. February 24th, 2007, so in a week, it'll be about 15 years, and so uh, the, the deployment ended early April, and so I was, you know, back out operating and stuff for like, what, a month, five weeks, or whatever, and then we we redeployed back to the U.S., and, uh, you know, two quick back-to-back deployments, um, you know, I think the, the feeling was it's time for something a little bit more laid back, so... Mm-hmm. I got uh, assigned to be the uh, the division engineer for Second Marine Division uh, in Camp Lejeune. So I w- I reported to a lieutenant colonel who reported to uh, a one star general, and so that yeah, one started a
1: one star general. He's, yeah, yeah, whatever.
0: So one star. It, he was the assistant division commander who is now the commandant of the Marine Corps four star general. He's okay. still serving. So okay,
1: four is a little more pompous, yeah. you know. Yeah, so. he, he's done his time. <laughs> So I, I guess for you know again me and other other people. So when you so what what what's the step before general to be? I mean general comes Full from bird, an, colonel. Okay, and that comes and the promotion comes from another general, or does that typically come from a?
0: Everything is by board. So you know your your record, all everything you've done goes in front of a board at every level. So. Okay
1: you know, tours, missions,
0: everything, like uh, fitness reports, which are like year end evaluations, basically, all that stuff is racked and stacked. Uh, Somebody talks about you for 30 seconds or 60 seconds and highlights your career at every level. So that almost
1: seems like the the type of level, though, because we think about in business level, it's, basically who you know you know a lot of it some of a, that helps a lot of it's who you know some sure of there's helps. a lot of people uh you know they're good at what they do but in the military i think strategically like you are really you could be making a bad move by not you know promoting or or promoting the person who's wrong for the position you know what i'm saying like you know a lot of it is i'm not, I'm not questioning that yeah. i'm just saying i think there's a possibility of that if if you look at more um how we live day to day here with people being promoted because they know somebody or you know whatever
0: it's probably a little bit more regimented in the military what I would tell you is uh, you know Marine Corps specific because I can't talk about the other branches and how they promote but um, in the Marine Corps it's all by board you know if you're in zone below zone above zone um, you know there are certain expectations like you need to take a brand new picture you got to take a physical fitness test you have to weigh in all that kind of stuff so sure so, let's say you take the picture, physical fitness test, weigh in, you know, then your record is put in front of this board of, let's say, 10 to 15 people, and they are racking and stacking everyone in the same rank as you that's going to the next rank. And that's at every level, from right. captain to to colonel, and then at, at the general level, one star through four star, totally different process, and I'm not going to even speak on that, but... It's it's all about appointment and advancement and you know right. that stuff. At that point, in in my opinion, it becomes a little bit more political. So okay, yeah. But
1: uh, yeah, so um, so so we're okay. So we're two thousand seven. We're we're entering the exit. Where wh- where have you made the decision to say, I'm not going to go career.
0: Well, so 2007, I'm, a, I'm the division engineer filling a major's billet as a first lieutenant, and I do that for a year, uh, and so I'm in charge of all facilities for the 2nd Marine Division, which is roughly 16,000 Marines uh, and two hundred and fifty billions in, in North Carolina, so I'm in charge of all of it uh, as a first lieutenant, not having any a clue what I'm doing, but guess what? I'm, I'm the man. You did it. So you still did it. The, the the actual major was forward deployed, so I'm doing everything and have had zero contact with him until a year in when we basically do a flip-flop and I leave. So um, 250 buildings, uh, all the new construction that's happening, the biggest project that I had uh, visibility and a say. I was a se- essentially the senior military advisor was a 200 million dollar new construction project for the wallace creek regimental complex for eighth marines I'm, I'm in charge of helping design it making sure that everything's in the right spot so it actually supports the the, the operation and right. all that kind of stuff to the point of this is where we want to put the bike rack because it'll make us lead silver certified that kind of stuff which sounds crazy, but it's actually a thing for you sure. Know, if you design a, a a whole facility or complex in a certain way, you get certain credentials and right, right, there right. Might, there might be you know other benefits from being lead certified or whatever. So that was the biggest project that I had, and then um, I knew I was going to probably do another three years. So I I got what they call PCS uh, permanent change of station orders to uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I was uh, the active duty officer in charge of a reserve unit in Green Bay, bulk fuel engineer unit. And so um, went to Green Bay, the wife and and kids moved up there from uh, Southwest Michigan because I was done deploying at that time. And it just made sense at that time to do something. So went up to Green Bay. Um, I knew, you know, pretty much immediately that I was, I was going to be done with active duty after those three years. So, uh immediately started uh working on getting into an MBA program mm-hmm. um and so yeah completed that program what was it September of 08 to December of 2010 I was working on that MBA program um it in nighttime so not during the day just just a nighttime program and then you know that reserve unit sent marines to afghanistan so um I was in charge of making sure that whatever, uh, TTPs and, and other training that needed to happen for the Afghanistan deployments, uh, I was in charge to make sure that that all that kind of stuff was happening. So, um, on top of regular reserve drill responsibilities and all that kind of stuff.
1: So at this point, where, where are you like physically, like, like emotionally, physically, like, are you just like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready.
0: I'm am a captain. Um, I'm getting my MBA, and and I knew I was I was getting out at that
1: time. Um, yeah, because I mean this this is 2007, and
0: well, we're talking so moving into 2008 is when I left uh, North Carolina. Okay, and, so we're in 08 now. Yep, and so so I left North Carolina, to go to Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I'm there from 2008 to 2011. So for this three years. So
1: you were so were you in because oh, Bin Laden would have been October of eleven, ish. I, I think, think it was it, May right. of eleven. Was it? Yeah, because yeah. it was. So right when I was
0: getting out. Yeah, uh, I guess that was. That was it? Yeah, I remember was, because. Right. Yeah. So I I was going to, uh, what they call like junior military officer hiring conferences. Right. And and I was in one in Chicago for Orion, and it was it was the beginning of may 2011 and it came on the news and i'm you know literally uh, doing interviews for for my future business Mm -hmm. world job so um yeah that's that's kind of how it went um for for green bay and then i got out and uh off of active duty and in the reserves the way that uh you work towards a retirement is every year is a satisfactory year you have to get 50 points and it worked out where that year that i left active duty i had literally just enough points to go another year in the reserves as a satisfactory year and it gave me a year basically to decompress and you know start to Get into the business world and not have to do anything, but still have a satisfactory year in the reserves. And so, um, at that point, I I made the decision. Let's see what happens. And uh, I continued in the reserves. Uh, I went to uh, what they call Expeditionary Warfare School for a couple years, and then I started uh, Command and Staff College for I want to say it was another year or two. And then I got a phone call completely out of the blue um, to be the, uh, reserve company commander in South bend. And it was right around the time that I got selected for major. And, um, and so I was a reserve company commander for an engineer unit in South bend for, um, roughly three and a half years. And, um, that took me basically to, I want to say it was 18 or 19 years of satisfactory service in the reserves with active duty time, right? And uh, did that for three and a half years. Uh, basically, took everything that I had learned over the last, you know, 17, 18 years, and just tried to pour into my young lieutenants and uh, and the and the and the Marines, and um, tried to put a, a business spin on everything. And and the way I did it was. I would find school seats that really could make a difference for the unit. For instance, um, I sent uh, one lieutenant to the Army Sapper course, which is extremely selective. We got one of two school seats in the three years that I was Mm -hmm. there. Uh, He lost like 30 pounds
1: while he was at that school. I need to lose 30 pounds. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) my back will feel better. He was tough.
0: So, you know, both lieutenants wanted to go. And I said, whoever does the most pull-ups gets to go. So oh they both jumped on the pull-up bar, and, and this kid, he's actually a Russian. His name is uh, Vitaly, and uh, he did like 30 pull-ups, you know. And 20 is kind of the number for, for the Marines. So he did like 30 pull-ups. 30 is a lot. So, so he went to the school. I could at- do
1: 30 in 30 days. <laughs>
0: And uh, so he so he's a cop in, in uh, like uh, Schaumburg, Illinois. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what he does now. But um, he went to the school, uh, and I just thought that that was a great school for a lieutenant that really, you know, in the reserves you don't get a whole lot of opportunities and experience. That was a great school. He went to that. I sent the other lieutenant to uh, Mountain Warfare Leaders Course in uh, Bridgeport, and he spent uh, a winter learning how to uh, eat raw rabbits and stuff like that. Like literally you, you pop the eye out and you eat the eye, that kind of thing.
1: So things this that, is, things this that most people good. won't do. Yeah. Things okay. that
0: most people won't do. Was he
1: related to Jed Clampett? He was
0: <laughs> not. Very straight arrow, straight laced guy yeah. from Lockport, Illinois, business guy and uh so he got to go to that school
1: bet he'll know how to survive if anything goes down oh
0: yeah oh yeah (laughs) and so sent him to that school uh sent some of the uh uh, enlisted marines to specialized schools but you know i just took a very business-like approach to those three and a half years and tried to build the capabilities of the unit um try to showcase what was possible for for the company to support both the battalion and any units. And that's the approach that I took during those three years, um, was just try to give back and and create the absolute best opportunities for those Marines, try to help them all find phenomenal jobs in the area. Um, you know, I, I pushed, uh, investing in, in what they call the TSP is what we call the 401k in the, in the real world. So push that, um, just trying to really give back. It was kind of like a, sure. a give back tour for me. And then um and then left the unit two knee surgeries, all that kind of stuff. I knew I was done at, at my 20 and uh so um my last year in the reserves was uh back in finishing command and staff school um and get my points that way. So, so. do you
1: so do you retain your rank like I mean, you're done, obviously. Yeah. But so I'm I'm a major. I
0: I I was on the uh, lieutenant colonel board, um, but you know, I knew my my 20 years was up. Two knee surgeries. I'm done, man. It's I I, I can't do another three years. Sure. So yeah. Um. So that was it for me. I, I, I submitted for retirement and um, 20 years. That's what 20 years looks like for me. So
1: that's incredible. I mean, I, I mean. I mean, I I like to kind of personally thank you for that, and I mean, I obviously I was a young man back then, and um, but and there was always this, you know, what should I do next? What should I do next? And I mean, I, I thought about it at several times, and I just I think there was just always this this hesitancy, like is this right for me? How am I going to do? And and then you have men who actually just do it, you know, and um.
0: I didn't think I was going to do twenty, men. I didn't I didn't think I was going to do
1: eight yeah it just it just happened absolutely i mean y- you were born for it i mean you were born to to lead i mean and that's um i mean i, I think a lot of people i mean and, and and the purpose of this for me is to kind of bring the awareness to that and um because i i still feel like it just goes by the wayside. And not enough attention is poured into it because they don't understand the sacrifice that it actually takes to go ahead and put that foot forward and and, and go through that, especially 20 years. I'm surprised my wife stuck around for the whole thing. I mean, good for her, man. Good for her. I'll tell you that. She, I mean, she
0: stuck it out, man, and so I try to I try to make sure that she feels like uh, it was worth it. You know, try to try to spend some extra money and go on some really but, nice but trips. Here you, but here
1: you are now, you know, and, yeah. and this is these are the opportunities that um, things like this, have, you know, um, these these life experiences, they've brought you to where you are now, and spending this time with your children, spending this time with your wife, investing into you know your business and your life now, and um, I, obviously there's always things that I think, you know, in my position too, I, you know, I want to ask, but yeah. you never know, you know, cause I know there's, there's, there's things that are tough oh, you know, yeah. and, and just like in kind of wrapping up and kind of going back to talking to, um, you know, like my grandfather, you know, that man was both of them just didn't have much to say.
0: You know, it's tough, man. You know, there's, there are things that I, I don't want to talk about, but, uh, but there's a lot of things that I do. You
1: Absolutely. know, and
0: the and the one thing that I would say is um the older I get the the more I I want to have an impact on others. Um and that's that's kind of what I tried to do my last three and a half years as a as a company commander was really just give back man and um you know try to set up as many people for success as possible and have as many conversations right. as I could. Yeah. Um and I, you know, like last week I was in Birmingham, Alabama for, for business and I am basically taking all of the leadership principles and all of the leadership teachings from the Marine Corps and I'm pouring it into three new general managers who have never had a speck of leadership training. Absolutely. They're either dumped into the position or they're, they're going to be in the position soon, but have had zero training. And so I'm talking about the basic elementary leadership principles.
1: Right. And in this conference that we were at over the weekend and we had um, we were just kind of discussing leadership. We were discussing the pivotal um, importance of a lower position in in the company or to, to the highest position. And just like in the military, if if the general can cannot have accurate information if it isn't for the private on or the sergeant to be able to give that information, pass it along. You, we all play these integral parts. Correct. In in the mission and this, in this crazy mission in life, you know, it's, it's very important to continue to pass that along. I mean, you have a skill, you were given a skill by God and, and now you've taken this ability and to be able to give it to others. I mean, that's, that's your core mission. And, um, Again, that's where we do agree on that. I I believe that there should have been this, you know, and maybe even going forward in the future, this there needs to be this one, you know, one year. This just something to this pulling you away from mom and dad at nineteen. You know, sorry, you know, no more dependency. It's time to it's time to buck up. Yeah, you know, it's time to grow up. You know,
0: I agree. You know, I I think I think uh, young people need something to to be a part of. You know. Uh, and, and this is, this is it, you know, in my opinion, I think it's a, it's a significant, uh, opportunity for a lot of people. Um, you know, and they, and they hit their numbers like, like they need to, but I think there's more opportunity, like we talked about, maybe a pilot program for sure to fill a need in, in the world that, that is just not happening. Otherwise, um, this could be it if it's done correctly. Absolutely.
1: Well, and it, and it, I think it also draws in people to, um, understanding commitment and yeah. responsibility and discipline and
0: it's more than just
1: yourself for sure. And it's, it's more than becoming selfless. Me. Yeah. Become, you know, literally. And I look at this principle in, in, um, in my faith, you know, becoming selfless and you know, you're caring about your neighbor, like in the military, your, your job is to protect the guy next to you absolutely is just as it is important to protect from him to you. You know, you you protect each other, you know, same thing, you know, as my house right here, I'm thinking about my neighbor. How can I protect them? How can I make this community better?
0: And you know, relationships for sure. You know, like lifelong relationships. So yesterday's my birthday, you know, probably half the people that said happy birthday to me are people that I served with for sure or more, you know, uh, and it's it's a friendship that lasts your entire life. So I'll give you a, I'll give you a quick example. So served with a gunnery sergeant uh, with second LAR two thousand six two thousand seven. He's the motor T um, gunnery sergeant Bowman. He's my first sergeant in Green Bay. When I get there, he's like, "Hey, sir, second LAR," <laughs> and so. Uh he's the he's my first sergeant. It's me and him and fifteen active duty guys with hundred and fifty reserve guys. So uh but we served in combat okay, together. I found this oh, on the web oh. for
1: second number and south. he's that I don't know what happened there. <laughs> She's deciding to talk now.
0: So so he's my first sergeant <laughs> and uh you know, we're in charge of this, this unit for three years together. Uh yesterday, you know, here we are what, uh fifteen years later, or whatever, something like that. And he's like, "Happy, happy birthday, sir!" And I'm like, "My response is, I have to get to Tampa. I need to spend time with, you know, my favorite first sergeant. Right. I've had, I've had, I've had phenomenal first sergeants, but I served in combat with him, and then, you know, we spent significant time together, um, and and he's he's like a blood brother to me, you know, and so that's just one example. I have I have so many people that that I've shared time with in the military. um, And I still uh, spend time with some like my number two in South Bend um, was a lieutenant, first lieutenant at the time he left and went to green Bay and was uh, in charge. He came back to South Bend. He's now the commanding officer, which is what I was and you know, we went out and had cigars a couple months ago. For and sure, we do every couple months, and he will tell me the problems that he's having, the frustrations that he's having. Think of this veteran suicide, you know. Of course. Um, so he's talking to me about what's happening, you know, and I'm I'm still providing a friendship, a counsel that happens on that same level, you know, like officer to officer. Uh, brother to brother, like, I know you're going through this. I, you know, what can I do to help? You know, that kind of stuff. Those, those visceral Is conversations right? that nobody knows about. Nobody's going to talk about it, but it, it has to happen. And then when it does, like, I'm trying to help relieve him of at least a little bit of the stress that he's under as, right. as a commanding officer. Those conversations, they still need to happen, and so even when you're out, those conversations
1: can continue. do you feel that um, there's enough support there for those t- for those that need to
0: well, I mean, so we're talking about the leadership level
1: I'm talking just in the outside in the world when they're done like do you feel like there's there's enough
0: I think there's a lot of resources, but I think a lot of a lot of veterans don't don't reach out fully to the resources that are available. Um, you know, leadership at any level is an Island, you know, and, and I talked about that last week in for the new general managers that I was coaching, you know, when you are in charge and you were, let's just say you're in Cleveland, Ohio, you are you feel like you're all by yourself. And if you're a commanding officer of a reserve company in South Bend, you feel like you're all by yourself for sure. There's only certain things that you feel like you can share because right. it, at some point you, you, you know you're it man you're it as a leader it, at a certain level, you are it, and so you have to project a a certain persona, whether things are good or bad, you have to project um success, all that kind of stuff so um but there's still pain, there's still frustration, there's all that kind of stuff at at any level with with leaders. I think it's important to have a tribe, which we've talked about sure, before. Absolutely, you know, and that's where I think uh, more veterans should should try to develop something like that—a uh, a, a close four or five person brotherhood, a tribe uh, within within reaching distance,
1: like five ten minutes away. Um, that would be, I mean, in, that's something too that. I don't know what could happen of this, but I'm, I'm definitely hoping that maybe bringing something like what you're talking to kind of an awareness or some sort of system where we can kind of have that. I'll give you another example, that that dependency for each other. I'll
0: give you another example. So Super uh, I get together with a retired master sergeant, uh, um, um, another Marine who was a uh, uh, sergeant, and a couple other guys that that you know are either military or very friendly to military. Right. So it's almost like a little tribe, um, and so you know we get together on special occasions like like Marine Corps Ball or Super Bowl, that kind of For stuff. Sure. And it's like a little tribe, and you know we just have a great time. But every veteran deserves that, Absolutely. and I think every veteran should. Seek to create that, because if you do, I think it, it just if there's ever a frustration or something else that you feel like you can't get past, well, you can get past it if you have a tribe. Mm. I think, and that's not just military; that's that's everybody. Like we talked yeah, about for, I mean, business, for it, the business side, if you have a group of four or five guys that you can bounce ideas off of, uh, you can work through things with. Um, not that it solves everything, but it solves a lot.
1: And I, I think in the aspect and just not just in the, in the military sense, but just even, you know, in the real world, you know, whether it's uh, being a father, being a husband or anything. And, um, and it's tough and it's, it's kind of hard to take down this, this drape of who we want to, who we think we are to how we truly feel inside because, um, we're scared. I mean, we're, and I see nobody wants to look, look weak. No. And I, I mean, um, and, and that's the one thing where, um, I think a lot of us kind of, um, struggle with military members because they, they're, they're so they're broken. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, things were tough. They've been hard and not everybody is receptive of the pain. And, and we all are in different ways and we handle it in different ways. But I think where we, outside of sometimes the military, um, in a sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, because in the military, you're regardless of what happens, you have a mission. Correct. You, you've got to pursue the mission, regardless of what happens during that mission. You have to continue forward. Um, but when we take a step back in the real world, we become um, more under, you know, we have to kind of step back and say, like, why did this happen? And how can I approach it at this moment and then tender it? You know, because yeah. um, because we, we know a lot of I mean, we know tons. We've heard thousands of stories of service members, you know, taking their life because there wasn't anybody there to listen or there wasn't somebody there to, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, do you know, it's, what
0: it's a tough, tough situation. What I would say is if you build the network, that's never an issue. Like, I know I could literally call 10 different Marines right now and they pick up the phone and say hey what's up sir for sure so and it's not because of my rank it's because you know we we were tight and and we still are well, we will it's always It's the camaraderie be. of yeah
1: the you know
0: so you know for for somebody that's struggling out there i would say uh number 1 don't don't ever delete a number i have i have marines numbers on my phone from 15 years ago literally and so You know, like, for instance, I was the engineer officer uh, at the division. I have a Sergeant Sink who worked for me 15 years ago. I bet if I called that number right now, if he still has that number, he'd pick up the phone, Mm -hmm. you know. And he just helped me, you know, with with maintenance repairs and stuff. Sure. But it's the connection. Don't ever delete, um, you know, numbers out of your phone from former military members because, um, you know. I'd be willing to bet a thousand dollar bottle of, uh, Peppy Van Winkle. Eight out of 10 of them are going to pick up the phone for on the sure. first ring. A hundred percent.
1: Well, I really want a bottle of that. So let's call 10 right now. <laughs> <laughs> let's put it on the, let's see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all about the connection. Man. No, no, that's true. Um, yeah. And, and kind of just wrapping this up. Um, I, I, again, I, I want to thank you for this time. Um, I would definitely like to continue this with others yeah. you know? um, I think us having a, a, a kind of a, a platform and somebody with experience and knowledge and you know because you're saying things that you know you're using abbreviations and stuff I'm not aware of you know but but a lot of people that could be you know potentially listening don't know but um, I think it's, it's the fascination in, in trying to understand you know because we're trying to be this community this tribe of understanding people's pain and suffering where they're even, not even so much pain and suffering, but wanting to just talk about it. Yeah. You know, um, I think going forward, um, I, I've reached out to uh, a few other, a few other gentlemen and, uh, they've expressed interest in, in be just sitting down and talking. Yeah. I mean, and, um, that's something. I bet that, if you
0: got Kyle, that would be good.
1: Yeah. Kyle. Um, I'm
0: gonna go ahead and do a shout out. Yeah, you're you're
1: up next, bro. Yeah, Kyle Engel. There you go, buddy. I mean, (laughs) that guy. He will just be taking over. He'll be like, "All right, you're done. You're done." Um, No, he uh, just listening to um, listening to him over the weekend. You could definitely see and and where he's grown in in his life, and he's taken this experience, and then he he sees the moment. Carpe diem, man. He that's what it is, man. And obviously, you. You, Everything is a choice. You have taken your well, it's exactly right, and um, you can you've taken to your experience, wallow. and you've applied it to being a a general of teaching, a, yeah. a teaching moment, you yeah. know. And then um,
0: you can take you can take it and,
1: and sit in it and wallow, how, or let, you can you can take it. I want to know though. It I, I just want to. And at the success. end of this. At the end of this, can I really? If I went to your house right now, can I bounce a quarter off of your uh, off your bed sheets? <laughs> Nah.
0: no, nah, the, the, the bed, they're the bed is messy.
1: There are uh, 3000 thread count <laughs> goose down Canadian goose. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, but I, I actually did talk a little bit about that last week at, uh, at the, at the new general manager training and said, you know, I, I applied that instead of build your or make your better than every morning. I said, walk into work every morning with the, the same plan execute the plan, even if it's for the first two right. hours of the day, if you execute that that plan with those five steps every single day, your business will thrive. You're gonna see tremendous success. and quite frankly, at ten o'clock after you're done with your 10 at ten meeting, I don't care if you go golf because you've set up this right. day so well for success you really don't have anything else to do.
1: For future reference, though, still make your bed every morning. Correct. Yeah, you're, you're talking about the Admiral video where he says the yeah. first thing, you know, because it's the first thing you, it's, you've knocked out that's the a, first goal a of the day. That's a level of
0: success yeah. because you completed something for the day. And I basically just took that and applied it to the business world and said if you walk in every day with a vigor, a smile, and you actually uh, do these five things every morning, your business will be successful. So... That's what I. That's what I laid out last week for a, a new general manager and leadership type of
1: training. So I will principle. say, even though it's Navy, being called an admirable admiral, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean they commander.
0: Got a, they got a bunch of you know stars and stripes on their yeah, uniforms. You sit on a and,
1: boat in the water. They're fine.
0: Yeah, I mean filet mignon from the. They're from the, all you know galley.
1: Yep, they're all they're all. Enti- I will say those tight quarter. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I can't wait for the day to actually interview somebody who is a submariner. I got one for you. Uh, let, we got to do it. So we yeah, got to do one it. One of
0: my old HVAC technicians, who's uh, in Edwardsburg, uh, was a, uh, a submariner. He he worked on all the uh, the engines and and that kind of stuff. So. First thing I'm gonna
1: ask: What do you think? Are you claustrophobic? <laughs> what was it like spooning? He, he's the a good next guy. To
0: you? He's a good guy. I bet I bet he would do it. His name's Tom. So uh, I will do a shout out to Tom. Uh, you're up. Thanks, Tom. So. All right.
1: But um, no, thanks again, Mick. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I mean, going forward, I, I want to do many of these more with you and, yeah. and hopefully others because uh, I think we can we can do a really amazing thing here. And um, I, I, I don't feel like there, you know, I know like Joe Rogan does, you know, he has military guys on and. Um, obviously, um, he knows how to interview people very well. And uh, he's somebody who I look up to when they do interviews. And he just he's so enthralled in the conversation. But the way that they speak and, and you hear their stories, you know, it, it's really just truly about understanding people, you know, and and loving your neighbor, you know, yeah. regardless of where they come. Because that's the thing about the military. Race, creed, color, doesn't anything matter. doesn't matter. Nope. You have the same objective yep you know and 100 percent so um you know
0: you all bleed red that's so. right
1: so uh, i just want to thank you and uh thanks for listening everybody and uh hopefully next time we're going to jump on and uh get some more great stories all right thanks, absolutely Megan. i appreciate it